And so one of the sankalpas I work with is my body thinks in feels. My body thinks in feels, F-E-E-L-S. And really what that means is, you wanna become a, um, a really gracious antenna to receive the messages coming from all the different layers of your body, both the gross stuff that would be proprioception, right? Those positional things, the, the feeling of a muscle contracting, the feeling of a muscle stretching, the feeling of knowing that you know, your elbow is straight or it's not straight. And then we also want to be able to improve our physiological listening, which comes through a different pathway in the spinal cord called the interoceptive pathway. Welcome to the Movement Code Podcast, where we help you decode movement, health, and lifestyle so that you can expand and grow. Hey guys, my name is Antonio Gurley, your host for the Movement Code Podcast. I am a father, husband, business owner, rehab practitioner, and coach. Information overload has paralyzed many of us and we are overwhelmed with good intentions and don't know what or who to trust. We aim to provide you clarity and confidence by bringing you expert advice for the everyday person. Thanks for spending some time with me today and enjoy the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Movement Code Podcast. This is episode number eight. And today uh, on the episode, we will be chatting with Jill Miller. She is the founder of Tuna Fitness. And we chat a little bit about how Nichelle and I first came across Jill's work back in chiropractic school with her book called The Role Model. Um, but we have a, just a really good conversation. And it was intended. We intention we were intending to talk about more about fascia, which is such a big part of her journey, and and why and kind of like the why and what she does with her with her business Tune Up Fitness. But we kind of just let the conversation where go just let the conversation go where it went, and we talk a lot about her journey. Um, being in the health and fitness world for well over 20 years now, um, a little bit about her aches and pains and injuries that she's had and the surgeries that she's had, and the the challenge this week I think is going to be one that that will be really great for a lot of us, and I know it's going to be something that's going to be very challenging for me particularly to be able to fulfill just because I struggle personally and slowing down and tuning in and really thinking about and maybe not even thinking about just just observing what my body actually feels and you'll hear you'll, you will hear Jill talk about this um, in the episode and then at the end for the challenge so I encourage you guys as always to stay all the way at the end so you know what that challenge is but I hope you enjoy this episode um last bit before we get into the episode again if you guys have not checked out we do have some fantastic free downloads for you on our website if you just go to enhancedmovements.com that's enhanced with the d and movements with an s right there on our homepage if you have not yet subscribed to our newsletter just throw your email in there and you'll get a copy. You'll get three free downloads, three th three free PDF downloads that work on mobility, 
um, some some particular movements and stretches that you may need if you have shoulder pain or back pain. And once you get access to those, you can share it with whoever you want. It's just a PDF. Um, and as always, we appreciate you guys following along and sharing these episodes with family, friends, colleagues, whoever you feel might benefit from uh, listening to us chat. So thanks again and enjoy the episode. All right. Welcome back, folks. This is the Movement Code Podcast. And today on the show, we have Jill Miller. She is the founder of Tune Up Fitness and the author of The Role Model, which is a book that my wife and I use in our practice. We were, uh, I think we picked it up somewhere middle through our chiropractic uh, schooling. And it is everything fascia related on how you can, you, you yourself can deal with a lot of aches and pains on your own with myofascial tools, which Jill will be able to share their uh, their tool collection they have, but it's also for the clinicians. And that's why we found it so helpful is it helps us um, talk about and create narratives around fascial releasing and how do we actually use these tools, which we know everybody, and this was actually a conversation that was brought up by a fellow uh, friend of ours, Dr. Capo Bianco, Steve, as I, I called him Capo Bianco, Capo. If he's listening, he'll correct me. Uh, but we talk about tools, right? Everybody likes to roll out. We know that rolling out, whether that be a foam roller. Oh, are we still there? Uh, sorry, I just got. I still see you. And okay, you. sorry, I just got. For uh, I'll have to edit that. I just had a call come in, and it just kicked me out. Um, so we'll just. Uh, I'll just kick back, but. Um, all right, so we know a lot of people love to use rolling tools, devices. We know foam rollers. We know lacrosse balls, right? But I would like to hear from you why, in the first place, what prompted you to kind of create uh, the role model book, and what are some of the tools that you guys utilize with Tune Up Fitness? Oh, well, well, thank you for having me on your new podcast. Yeah. Um, very excited to contribute. Well, why I wrote the book, I wasn't planning on writing a book about the therapy ball work. I was teaching, I was teaching the work. I had a, I have eight different teacher training programs in my greater tune-up fitness uh, programming schema. And uh, one of the courses within that was uh, an exclusive course called the science of rolling. And at the time we were using a tool called the yoga tune-up therapy balls and there were a few other therapy balls that were a part of, uh, of our ball collection. There's something called the Therapy Ball Plus. There's the Alpha Ball. And there's the Gorgeous Ball. But my original training, I made this thing called, um, the, it was called the Yoga Tune Up Therapy Ball Practitioner Training, the Science of Rolling. And it gave me a chance to, well, first of all, share these self-massage strategies with, with, with people, but also to explain um, the new science of fascia in a very, uh, I think, cohesive way to different communities. Mostly because at the time, uh, we had this, this tool called the Yoga Tune-Up Therapy Ball. So when people heard about it, they're like, oh, it's a yoga thing. But I knew that what I was using, like I wasn't teaching yoga. I was teaching people about their anatomy. I was teaching people about pain science. I was teaching them about body mapping. I had this tool that helped people to embody their body. And... Um, but originally, all we had was the small ball. So, I guess, gosh, this is going to be a long story. I'll try to make it short. So, um, 
But then we started using, you know, these other size balls, but the training uh, ended up um, just using a scientific method of just a one tool so that we could really have a good test retest within that, that course. Uh, anyway, fast forward, I did a, uh, I came to be really good friends with Kelly Starrett, who he's got a program now called the Ready State, formerly um, had a, a program called Mobility Wad. And so Kelly invited me to present on a live broadcast with him uh, on a platform called Creative Live. And it was a two day broadcast where he was basically um, elaborating on his movement skill and sort of lifestyle uh, protocol and invited me to come present uh, two days, one day on fascia and one day on breath. And so um, it was shortly after I did that program that I got an email in my inbox from the publisher of his book, Becoming a Supple Leopard, Victory Belt Publishing Company. And the owner of the publishing company reached out to me and said, hey, I saw you on Kelly's show. I want to publish your book. And I was like, <laughs> I don't have a book, but sure, <laughs> I'll write one and you can publish it. Because who's going to turn down a right? publisher, especially the publisher of Kelly's book and a number of other New York Times bestselling books, who would turn that down? So I was just like, this is God has just put this opportunity in my lap. Now I better figure out a book that's got selling power and staying power. Now I wanted to write a book about what I'm most passionate about, which is actually about core dynamics and breath. Mm. But this was in 2012 when they approached me. Okay, so just timeline that. That's almost 10 years ago. And that was something I'd been teaching on for a long time. That's why Kelly brought me onto the show because I was teaching about breath and, and fashion, right? And so, but I knew, I was like, there's just no way that's going to be popular. Right, I'm saying that now, mm -hmm. but in 2012, it was not trending. Breath is a huge trend right now, as you know, thank God, it's great, um, keeping me really happy and busy. But, but what I did see coming up, because I was one of those people that was out there um, uh, using tools, helping people do self-myofascial release, educating people about the benefits of it. I knew I had to come up with a way of packaging my therapy ball program in a way that would cross over out of the yoga space, get me out of the yoga space and get me into every single movement, sphere, athletic, um, uh, uh, you know, athletic tribe, um, clinical tribe. And so I, I remember I was, I knew that that's what I wanted to offer them. And I told them that I just didn't have a title. And so it was while I was working out, I was probably rolling around on balls, you know, like I, I teach at Equinox in, uh, in, in, uh, in and I'm pretty sure it was there rolling around on the mat that the name, the role model came to my mind. And I literally took out my headphones, dropped it on the floor, walked over to my husband. And I said, I've got it. I got the name. <laughs> And, and so that's kind of the genesis of the book. Now, I already had a teacher training manual that uh -huh. I had. I've already, you know, I got, I've written eight manuals. But I mean, I've got, I've got so much stuff I've written. But um, so I had about 35,000 words in that manual that I knew needed to be elaborated on. They needed to be, you know, fact-checked. And I needed to expand um, into more story as well as demonstration for the book. Mm -hmm. So the book ended up being 130,000 words and 431 pages. Um, but that's really the story of, of how the book came to be.
Now, how did you get, because you were a yoga instructor, you are a yoga instructor and previously not yoga. Not really. Okay. I'm not a yoga instructor. So I have a program called Yoga Tune Up. And from the beginning, when I started, I used to teach yoga, like back mm-hmm. in the day, 20 something years ago, I started teaching yoga. And, um, but I, I, I have a very diverse movement background, including a lot of um, massage training. Mm. And when I, uh, which, you know, obviously (laughs) is all over the place in my work, right? That's why Mm -hmm. I wrote the book is hands off massage. (laughs) Social distancing massage is probably how I should reframe this. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Billionaire. (laughs) Um, uh, But so I used to teach yoga and because Number one, my dad's a doctor, so I always had this sort of medical language in my head. And then number two, my mentor, uh, his name is Glenn Black, is an orthopedic uh, medical massage practitioner, and he teaches a, a form of body work that a physiotherapist from Russia named Shmuel Tatz um, trademarked called body tuning, but really it's orthopedic okay. medical massage. And so uh, Shmuel actually still works in New York City and is amazing. If you want to find you know, a type of touch whisper, body whisper, you know, you go to these 70 something year old practitioners who have touched hundreds of thousands of bodies yeah. and can find the origin of all the dysfunction within seconds. Right. So, so Shmuel, uh, so Glenn was Shmuel's protege. And so, um, when I started teaching yoga and I learned, by the way, I learned a lot of my yoga from Glenn as well as body work and meditation. Um, but what I do is in the umbrella of what would be called yoga therapy. So I'm a certified yoga therapist. And in America currently, uh, there really is no standardization. Uh, their standardization of yoga teachers is very poor. Um, they're trying. But yoga therapists have to have a minimum 1,000 hour, although most of the yoga therapists that I know have so many more um, uh, thousands of hours of training and clinical practice. And so we work adjunct with clinicians like yourself, um, with uh, physicians, surgeons, you know, up and down the chain. Um, so I would be considered a yoga therapist, but the yoga tune-up program that I created, really what it was, was before, <laughs> when I started teaching yoga tune-up, this is 2001, I started teaching yoga tune-up, so 20 years ago, what I did is I brought uh, functional movement into the yoga space. And so the tune-up was that I would really just disassemble poses right there in the middle of the class or the beginning of class so that people would learn joint articulations and they would learn to proprioceive the tissues that were required for performance so that they could really learn to embody their body and you know do the type of, of, of safe movements that are kind of anathema to yoga. I mean, like yoga is just crazy pants. Uh, especially now that we have social media and you see how extreme is rewarded. Luckily, thank God this wasn't around when I was a young yogini. And, you know, I did this all in the dark and in my own room with, you know, if it was lucky if I had a mirror. And, you know, when I first started doing yoga, they didn't have yoga mats. Like, they, it wasn't a thing. So, you know, I'm 48. Like, I've been at it for a while. And so anyway... Yoga tune-up is my movement paradigm. I brought the therapy balls into the classroom. That's a much longer story, but I brought the therapy balls into the classroom because what I noticed is that um, that the proprioception piece was just going over people's heads. It's like you needed a touch tool to be able to stimulate the tissues so that you had better feedback and could um, um, 
basically have better motor control. I mean, we know now from research, especially the amazing studies that my friend um, and someone you know, the wife of Dr. Uh, Stephen Capobianco, uh, Dr. Robin Capobianco, mm-hmm. has two published papers on on what what might be the potential mechanism of um, using soft rubber balls against uh, a body. Basically, the the sensory input impacts the motor output, and there's a very beneficial um, result. So when you roll, you end up getting uh, better force output and actually more precision and, um, and increase of range of motion. And so that's what I was seeing in the classroom, like all those years ago. And so I wanted my students to do rolling prior to um, our uh, the program, the movement program that I, you know, that I had planned for the class, because I knew number one, it would alleviate aches and pains. It would feel awesome. They would learn something about their body, and they would have a less likelihood of becoming injured by the class because they would just have that motor control. So I have two thoughts I, I want to ask on. One, one is that injury part is part two. Part one, the the role model, right? Obviously for the clinician, giving the clinician very good um, information about what we think we're doing with fashion and, and whatnot. But for the gen pop, here are great ways in which you can start to manipulate tissue and or deal with aches and pains and or improve your proprioception, right? So going back to some of your um, mm-hmm. your mentors, when would someone need more of the skilled clinician as far as touch as opposed to being able to manage this on their own, right? Because now, especially with stay at home, COVID, you know, uh, 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 social distancing, a lot of people are having to self-manage a lot of these things, which is great because we have so much information about that. But when would someone need to then transition into like, hey, you're not getting what you need out of this? Yeah, it's a great question. So when I just get the chills thinking about it. So when you would probably want to outsource and refer out your um, your your pain issue is that you know you've given this a go for four to eight weeks, and you still wake up the next day with that pain, or by the end of the day that pain shows up again. That really is representing a chronic condition. So what's amazing about the therapy balls is they can actually mute your pain response. They can really subdue your pain response. Um, and that's a great thing because that, that might mean that the, the tissues themselves aren't damaged. But it's also possible that your movement patterns are what's keeping this pain alive. And so that's when it, it really behooves you to move up the chain and find somebody who can do very formal assessments on you to find out what, what you know, are movement patterns contributing to this? Is there, a, do I have a habit of holding myself in one way? Is an old injury or surgery that I don't even think about anymore, is that what keeps on sending this riptide through my my musculoskeletal fascial system and really basically modifying me by the end of the day or, or you know overnight next morning kind of thing. So when you start to have that same pain, even though you might be able to sort of like uh, roll it out, it comes back. It comes back. Um, and so then pro- that's where that's where the marriage of rolling and proper training come in. But it also is where the marriage of rolling and a proper assessment. And sometimes that assessment might need scans. Sometimes you might need to get x-rays. You might need to get an MRI. 
Um, you know, I've been troubleshooting things myself for, for years. And I was shocked uh, a few weeks ago to see that I had a scoliosis in my lumbar spine. Like I had a degenerated hip. I had a total hip replacement in 2017. And Nobody looked at my lumbar spine until two and a half years later when I was, I still was having pain in my, in my left psoas and I just could not figure out why it did not make sense. And a wonderful chiropractor, God bless him, um, Dr. Moravarti out in Glendale, um, he, had, he tried every trick in the book and then he was like, I just need to see, I need to see inside, took the x-ray and there it was. Um, so anyway, it's just, it's just. You know, now I have the image. Now I actually in I can now work a different type of protocol for myself to address that um, scoliosis. I'm, I'm curious what what's your knowing your uh, mm -hmm. history with breath work. What's your plan to help work with the scoliosis? Oh shoot, you're coming out. What was oh, the question? Sorry. Um, with your uh, with your history and breath work, what's your plan moving forward now with the scoliosis? It's kind of a it's kind of a loaded question. I'm curious if you're going to say what I think you might say. Um, well, the good news is I've I, my I've unbelievable joint space in all my discs, my you know my sacral, my you know S1, uh, L5 disc, like beautiful vertebra. So I don't have. Um, obvious degenerative changes there. So my best plan <laughs> is came from my friend, Tom Myers, Tom Myers um, of anatomy trains. He and I are doing a project together. And so he happened to be, we were filming um, our program last October days after I got the scan. I was like, Tom, what do you think about my, <laughs> my x-ray here? This is like a complete shock to me. And so his suggestion was to just train the F out of my right psoas to help, it's a very small rotation to mm -hmm. help derotate those lumbars in the opposite direction. And I just thought that was really brilliant. Um, so it's really been a lot of, I mean, I just have to build more muscle on my left leg still, even after all these years, um, even after all these years. No, I mean, I had a bone taken out of my body. Yeah. So of course there's going to be um, little sad tissues over there. And I, I fully expect that this is a lifelong process. Um, and it's kind of, I think it's kind of funny too how people assume like, oh, surgery. It's just like we just we just reverse the time, and now we're we're good to just keep going. I, doing what's really interesting, and I'm not blaming this profession. Podiatry. I've heard of so many people getting foot surgeries who don't go into any sort of PT. They're literally no. just once the pain stops, you're good. I'm like, well, what if it doesn't stop because you had literally had surgery, Antonio. I get emails, and I'm sure you do too, and messages every week from people who've had total hip replacements like me, whose orthopedists, whose surgeons do not recommend PT post-surgery. Absolutely, they will not prescribe it. And these are clients that are told that walking is their therapy. And I have cried so many times for these people. I just cannot believe that, um, that any, anyone would think that disrupting the harmony of multiple fascial layers and multiple, you know, capsular tissues, that this wouldn't have an effect on uh, uh, on so many systems of the body, including that person's perception of self. I mean, so much changes when the knife goes into you and comes back out. 
Um, well, not only that, like, lot, I, I, don't, I don't know how long it, it had been going on for you, but my dad had a total hip replacement about 10 years ago. And for a year, he was putting it off. And that year was just, you know, you not only physically taxing, mentally taxing, but there's so many compensation patterns that led up to that time when you actually deciding under the knife and those things, not even let alone the knife, the knife cutting through the tissue issues that we have to deal with. We have to deal with all of the movement compensation patterns that were generated around that injury or the, you know, the, the degeneration. Yeah, you, you trained yourself to walk around, literally walk around that joint to bypass it for God knows how many years. And you created a beautiful new locomotor pattern so you could still get from A to B, but my God, is it dysfunctional. And that, that for me, the walking um, or what I call rewalking is still a lesson that I contemplate and mull through every single day. And I've, I've done a number of um, educational uh, investments in order to you know, rewalk my way through my body. And that is very humbling because you learn to walk on an automatic basis mm-hmm. by age one to 15 months, you know, 10 to 15 months. But rewalking as an adult is absolutely humiliating and um, demoralizing in, 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 in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, you, that's why I just, I bow down to the therapists that that take the time to, to do this work with their patients and that the patient really needs to go to that, that humble, humble place and be the baby and let themselves repattern so that, you know, their plasticity, both in their brain and their body has a second chance. Yeah. No. So I wanted to jump back. Have you heard of the Scroth method? S C R O T H. I think it's S C. I think it might be S C H R O T H. I might be mistaken now. I have the book. I definitely out. haven't heard of it. I'm just trying to spell it out so I can look it up after we get so, off. <laughs> so um, I believe it was a, I think she was German. And I believe she was in, she was, I think she might've been an MD. I can't remember. I can't remember the credentials, but it is a, it is a, the Scroth method is for uh, um, uh, scoliosis, patients that have scoliosis. Oh, and, wow. And, and what she uses is breath. So it's, it's fascinating. So if, and, and to your degree, maybe not that beneficial because it is so minor, but there might be so benefits, but when you're seeing these, these more massive um, curves within the spine, she uses positional changes. So if I have like a laugh or a a right lateral scoliosis curve, then you try to rearrange you, whether you're laying down or maybe you're stretching, which would be a more Mm -hmm. aggressive one, then you're Mm -hmm. breathing. Mm-hmm. into the direction you want to make changes you're using mm-hmm. an internal pressure and over time i mean you see the pictures of before and after changes for yes. some of these individuals it's amazing yeah well it sounds i mean we i do uh positional work like that with external and internal pressures using the cordless ball tool so mm-hmm. the cordless ball is this soft grippy inflated ball um it's a, it's very gushy and you can modulate how much air you have in it depending on um, your own pressure comfort, your own tolerance for that. And um, the majority of that ball work is used on the trunk. And so we I, I, we put it on different places on the ribs. Um, and sometimes we actually add additional pressures to the body, and, uh, which will make the ribs really work on upward and downward rotation. And will also 
attempt to um, manipulate, you know, tensions within the diaphragm also. So there's lots of different things um, that we do or that I, that I lead, especially in a course called the breath and bliss immersion that I do that. But um, this is, you know, this is, has been so helpful for clients with neck pain, um, upper back, lower back pain. Also, when you do those pressures on the rib cage, there's a tremendous vagal upregulation. So people get, you know, a tremendous relaxation response from it. Um, and it also trains them to, uh, you know, to make friends with what I call zone two respiration. Um, but yeah, uh, that, it just sounds brilliant. And I, you know, I've, I've just been doing all this stuff on my own. I didn't know, you know, I learned some techniques, some orthopedic or some uh, osteopathic techniques from Glenn, but the, the gorgeous ball work has all just been a, I've been led there by my own sort of intuitive sense of trying to help people, um, with better breathing mechanics. And so I'm gonna, totally going to look her up. One of my, or a very good friend of mine is a chiropractor up in Northern California. His name is Dr. David Lepp. And his practice exclusively is on scoliosis. And I'm sure he's familiar with this. And he works at a, at a clinic in um, Campbell, I believe. And they get, tr they get unbelievable results, non-surgical scoliosis results. So I have That's a awesome. feeling this is something that he's familiar with too. Yeah, it's, um, it is S-C-H-R-O-T-H. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, people can do this with um, bolsters or pillows and, you know, lay down in different positions. You just have to think of all the different possible positions your spine could go in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're, if you're suffering with a scoliosis, it, it would probably be a good idea to have, have somebody with, you know, some skill yeah. in the room to, to talk you through some of these things. But um, yeah, it's really interesting. Great. Thank you. Uh, now I am curious because this is a question that came up and I, this is the way I kind of describe it to my patients and I'm curious in clients and I'm curious to kind of hear your perspective. When people present to us with pain or excessive tightness or, you know, just these feelings in their body, the way I try to describe it is our body, it, our body can't speak, but it can talk to us in different ways, right? So when we're looking at the pain or the excessive tightness, are there other ways in which our body can speak to us or are those the main ways? Because I try to describe to it as like, well, you know, we know pain doesn't always equal tissue damage and tissue damage doesn't always equal pain, but there's a reason why it's there and we need to decode maybe yeah. what's going on. Do you have any input on that? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I have a, in, a, in Yoga Tune-Up, we work with something called a, a Sankalpa, which is a mindset practice. And, and there are little phrases that you, that you say to yourself to really host. You to have a cognitive frame to host the experience you're having you know, down below. And so one of the Sankalpas I work with is my body thinks in feels. My body thinks in feels. F-E-E-L-S. And really what that means is you want to become a, um, a really gracious antenna to receive the messages coming from all the different layers of your body, both the gross stuff that would be proprioception, right, those positional things, the, the feeling of a muscle contracting, the feeling of a muscle stretching, the feeling of knowing that, you know, your elbow is straight or it's not straight. 
And then we also want to be able to improve our physiological listening, which comes through a different pathway in the spinal cord called the interoceptive pathway. So we have this, this subtle sensing system known as interoception. We have our gross positional sense, the proprioceptive system. And um, I think helping people to be able to, and then by the way, pain travels in the same channel as the interoceptive neurons. So, um, and these are, you know, these are just slower moving, you know, they're smaller diameter and small, uh, slower uh, moving uh, signals, which can be wonderfully distracted by big body movements. So when we, we move our body, we essentially are quieting the baby inside. And if, if there's women listening, you know that when you're moving, the baby is still. But when you're still, you start to feel the baby stir, <laughs> right? And you feel the flutters. So it's very similar with your own human body. Um, when we can attune ourselves to quieter and quieter and quietedness, um, then we really start to receive those signals. And, um, you know, some people are extremely interoceptively or overly in interoceptively attuned. And I'll raise my hand because I'm one of those people who, you know, I can feel every heartbeat. And it's like, that's kind of cool, but it's also kind of annoying because you don't need to feel every heartbeat. Right? How distracting would that be? Yeah. Right? So for some, for some of us, um, even though it might seem like you know you have this super skill, um, there's also you know you, you want to be the happy medium. But uh, I think what is intimidating about these physiological messages is we don't we are not necessarily educated in them in school or in sport, and it is very important for us to be a um, knowledgeable host of uh, the flow of our breath, the flow of our, our blood, and uh, welcoming the input from our guts and welcoming the experience of the different subtle pulsations of the body because they really are telling us something about, about us and our being. Um, not being able to sense them it's a, it is a trainable skill. And again, the, the gorgeous ball for us is that tool that we use to really help people to develop subtle sensing. Um, and then, you know, you just become a better, you learn to become an interpreter of those signals. And then you can attend to yourself. You can do the self-care that's needed and not just run away from it and, you know, take the Xanax or, or, or pepper it down with um, antacids or, or whatever it is um, to, to dampen the feedback. Welcome the feedback, be a gracious host of it. My body thinks and feels, get curious about that. And um, did I answer your question? No, that's perfect. I mean, okay. the, tough, the tough part is, right, is we have to slow down to be able to feel that. Yes. And so, you know, breath practice and meditation practice, um, th these are all ways to guide yourself or to be guided um, into um, into those conditions because it really it does take there are very specific conditions um pair, you know parasympathetic virtues that are needed to be able to like get there and we live in the distraction addicted culture you know i love to be distracted just as much as everybody else but my god when i when i get to like turn on i call it the off switch when i get to turn on my off switch it's just like the reset button and 
the ability to be resilient and the ability to buffer my reactivity is so enlarged. And that's who I want to be. I don't want to just be the person that's um, in a high sense of reactivity all the time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, now I'm curious, we've been talking a lot about breath and the abdominal walls come up slightly, but I did want to ask you, and we briefly chatted about it before, and I'm going to botch the pronunciation of this. I'm only Go assuming. Go for it. Nolly? You nailed it. Nolly Kriya. Yes. Yeah. So you had a post on your Instagram today. <laughs> Tell us what Nolly is because it was it was phenomenal. And I've seen, and for those, and, and Jill will do a better job explaining this, but imagine, uh, like, I've tried the vacuum breathing and mm-hmm. it's it's just so challenging i'm so disconnected and i try to use the yoga that's that's my practice the, the core just ball to practice that but tell us about nolly well first of all i want to invite you to be my guest tomorrow when i teach nolly on my union fit live stream so i'm oh, teaching perfect. this live stream three days a week um but probably for you uh, you know and for most people you need to do the class on may on May 29th, which is all, only about the diaphragm vacuum, because you, you can't do Nolly unless you've mastered the vacuum. Mm-hmm. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. But I, I'm teaching to hundreds of hundreds of people from all over the globe that I've worked with. You know, some of my work for only, almost 20 years, and they want a Nolly class. And so I also have all these other um, people jumping in, you know, from all other, <laughs> other ponds. Anyway, so we're doing Nolly. Okay, so what is Nolly? Nolly looks like an alien baby has taken over your guts and is swimming around in there in, a, in like a, a, a circle fish pool. And I remember when I was first photographed doing this for Yoga Journal magazine, a letter to the editor came in. And that was This was like in 2001. I was uh, pictured in the spread in Yoga Journal or 2002, something like that. Um, and a letter to the editor came in and they said, Really, Yoga Journal, how dare you stoop to using special effects in your magazine? And then the editor and the article, like the article editor the next month, you know, wrote in and, or, you know, responded to the letter and said, uh, this isn't special effects. This is actually Jill's abdomen doing this, this thing, <laughs> which was really funny. It created a controversy. So it, it, it is a, um, it, it's, it's a shot karma. So I'm going to have to use some yogic language here. So in the yoga, in the yoga tradition, um, in the old, old school way of practicing, you, and this is in India, you need to perform a series of six different cleanses prior to even doing hatha yoga. So basically, uh, these were cleanses that would um, clean out your, your alimentary canal. It had to deal with ingestion, digestion, and excretion. And so, you know, you do things like floss your nose drink salt water and throw it up. I mean, like just pretty gross stuff, but we don't Mm -hmm. live in India where we have as many pollutants or parasites and and things like that. Nali is actually a practice of giving your oneself an enema. You're supposed to insert a reed into your anus, squat down into a tub of water, do the diaphragm vacuum, which basically would draw right? The forces, so you'd have this high pressure water, you draw the diaphragm up by spreading the ribs apart. And this is the hard thing. This is why we use the cordless ball to treat people, to help people learn to use their ribs. Diaphragm uh, plucks all those, the, all the water up 
through your rectum, and then you churn, 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 churn your abdomen in one direction to, you know, to help churn it up. And then you reverse the churning to eliminate the water that you just pulled up. So you'd be giving wow. yourself an enema. Now, I started doing yoga when I was 11 years old. You better believe I tried that because <laughs> I used to do all the things in all the ancient books. Not all of them. I never flossed my nose. That was just crazy. That just sounded horrible. But I mean, is, is that nuts or what? That's, that's taking it to the next level. for sure. So that's the point. That's the original point of Nolly was to give yourself an enema. Now you don't need to. You have fleet. It's very easy to give yourself an enema <laughs> if, you're into, if you need to. Like, I, yeah. I mean, I don't. My colon cleans itself out every 24 hours. I'm in good shape. There you go. Um, but, what the, but, but what Nolly does is it is um, utilizing your, uh, utilizes your obliques, actually, within this diaphragm vacuum, you have to just fire the oblique muscles. And, you know, if you're a chiropractor, so I'll ask you, what do obliques do? What, what do they, what movements do they dominate? Mostly the, the rotation. In the core. Rotation. So what you're seeing is my, my pelvis and my rib cage are locked in place. So if I have a closed chain on my ribs and my pelvis, the obliques are still rotating. But the bones are staying still. And so what you're seeing is this churning action. You can churn it in both directions. And why it looks so weird is because uh, what's so wonderful about Nolly also is, you know, if you understand fascial anatomy and you understand this, this structure called the rectus sheath, as the obliques contract, they ripple from the side of the body towards the, the rectus abdominis, that, that sort of six-pack, that 10-pack, you know, rubber shield in front of you. And the obliques whip across that. And because there's so much muscle mass in the rectus sheath, you actually end up seeing this sort of loaf of bread pop out and then disappear back in. And then the obliques continue to contract across the, the back of the body. The thoracolumbar fascia demonstrates the wave. It's a lower amplitude because the thoracolumbar fascia is so thick. Um, but anyway, so what you get is you, you're using your own muscle control. By the way, there's no breath in your body, so you have to have a tremendous amount of parasympathetic activity, you know, the ability to be without air for a long time, um, sort of, you know, CO2, CO2 overload. And you're doing this really phenomenal action that um, massages your viscera, um, you know, reminds your brain that your obliques have this really interesting ability to, um, to rotate, essentially. And, and really, that's what you're seeing. So now you, you knew how to do this prior to having kids. And this yes. is more of a question related to my wife's world who works strictly prenatal, postnatal. Mm -hmm. Do you find, and, and then I'll, I'm trying to think how to formulate this question as I'm saying it. What, what is, is your ability, with your ability to be able to perform that, do you find that the, the diastasis that's formed in women after having kids, because it's pretty well known that at, I think it's, Roughly over 35 weeks, roughly 100% of women will have diastasis just to the increased expansion. Yeah. You know, there's different factors, right? But do you think that had an impact on your ability to bring in that and strengthen that diastasis postpartum? Um, well, if you look at the video, I mean, you can actually look at a history of my Nali Kriya because I've been performing this on camera for 20 years. Um, and you can see that there is more gapping between my right and left rectus at this stage of my life post um, post two children than 
pre than pre children. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I don't have a, 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 dis- a dysfunctional or pathological diastasis. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find it really interesting and kind of cool that I can really see the two halves of the rectus sort of flipping, you know. But um, yeah, I can create total tension and you know closure, um, you know form closure. Excuse me, force closure um, by cor- you know by correct activation, like your wife teaches. So I couldn't say, I don't think I could say that. Um, I wonder if I, I wonder if yeah. I asked it this way, would it, do you think that could be, I guess just general, because a lot of low hanging fruit, a lot of things that we talk about, right? We talk about TVA activation or other things like that would having the ability, not everyone's going to be able to do the vacuum mm-hmm. or the nolly, but having that increased awareness of having to be able to control those different things independently, just like we'd be able to control any other joint. independently. Yeah. Just like being blink out of both eyes. I mean, I do, I do think there is something to be said for um, trying to optimize. Everybody's irregular. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody's got a stronger side and a weaker side. Um, but I do think that, um, having that motor control and the perception sense from both halves as a whole is, mm-hmm. is helpful. And I did Nolly Kriya through both of my pregnancies. Um, I actually have a video of me at um, nine months in both pregnancies doing Nolly Kriya oh, yeah. uh, around the, the uterus. We actually also have an intrauterine um, uh, uh, scan, a dynamic ultrasound of me doing Nolly Kriya. And you can see my fetus going, <laughs> and being rocked by it and then um and then actually the ob she kind of did this into my uterus like really jarring and the baby you could see it get thrown but when i did nolly kriya the baby was moving this really beautiful way yeah. and so you could see like you know her her action was much because i believe me i put this on my role model mama video like as um as this little thing at the very end and I and expecting to get, you know, like harassment and kick because you shouldn't be doing that with a fetus in your thing. But, um, oops, did we get break up? Oh, you're good. Um, you know, this is, this is like one of the great things about Nali Kriya is because the, the traction that happens with the diaphragm, you know, it offloads all of your organs away from your pelvis. That includes your uterus. And it's extremely stress relieving to have this offloading. You know, you know, we don't realize how, how much of ourselves we're, we're, we're weighted. I mean, we're floating, but we're weighted. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just a nice stretch to get in there. Um, and in terms of being pregnant, um, you know, I could definitely see that the motor firing activity was more clear on one side than the other so also you know would show me my 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 pattern of more strength on my right side more weakness on my left side yeah that's super fascinating when i saw that when i saw your your post today i had to ask about it <laughs> yeah and so but this is a teachable skill um but it is a process based thing so a lot of people want to do nolly and but in order to do nolly you really have to disassemble yourself in so many ways and um and it's not like um you know it's the opposite of of ripping a six-pack so this really is about integration and it's about making friends with all of your layers and getting over your bias against abdominal fat or visceral fat um so there's a there's a lot that goes into it and when i teach this i usually teach it over the course of five days not 30 minutes um (laughs) And by the end of those five days, maybe one student gets it. It's something that needs to be practiced 
pretty much every single day for many months before that pattern um, shows up. But it does show up. I've taught many people this. This, uh, but the journey. It's the journey is the is the pose. Like what you learn at each stage is where the gold is. Now I'm curious. How has because you had mentioned the the hip replacement. How has your yoga practice changed? What would you have done? potentially different over oh the my years? God. That's a loaded question, I know, because I've seen you chat a little bit about it. Uh, well, you know, one, this is a, a, you know, a birth defect, most likely. It was a cam deformation. I was a, a, a frank breach, forceps birth, two weeks late. So who knows um, when I came out, how I came out. My mom, my mom said after I was born, I would not, uh, I, was, I was in the moral reflex Basically, or, you know, I was I was I was in fetal position uh, for for two weeks. They couldn't um, get me to unflex my hips, wow. and I think knowing that, like when I because I knew that, and then when I got the diagnosis, you know, it's just like all the stories I'd heard my whole life. They start, you know, those stories start swirling. You're like, wait a minute, maybe I was protecting my psoas. Maybe they injured me during birth, but nobody nobody knew it, and I was in that fetal crouch position to protect the pain in my, in my gut or my hip. So, um, knowing what I know now, I definitely would have done uh, more strength training, you know, like in college (laughs) and, and all the way after college. And, you know, but like, I've, I'm learning all the great stuff that I've learned because I chose the, I chose what I chose when I chose it. Oh, for sure. Oh, well, and um, now you have a, no, a new appreciation for those that are post-op and how your tools can be applied to that population. For sure. I mean, I, I what's interesting to me is that I, you know, created this company and I created this methodology. Um, I wasn't in hip pain. I wasn't in hip pain until like the very end. But I think it was, you know, that that guidance missile inside me was drawn towards therapeutic practices. For whatever reason, and so I really was able to buffer or to de- delay the experience of chronic pain for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I now know that also other symptoms I have that I would uh, I would attribute to be in sort of a chronic pain puzzle um, were likely my body's way of sort of you know offloading the chronic pain and creating other symptoms um, that you know are part of the whole spectrum. But I'm very grateful for, you know, just, I've just learned so much and I've made so many allies and yes, I have so much more sensitivity to the people that come to me in chronic pain or are pre-op or post-op. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, well, we are approaching an hour. This has been phenomenal. I thought we were doing 20 minutes. How did I, the hour go by? I have no idea too. I just, I got to go buy a cookie for my kids or else. <laughs> well, uh, I want to, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Now, uh, one thing that I want to try to do for all of our listeners with all of our guests is try to encourage some sort of challenge for them over the next week, over the next week. We know habits take Mm -hmm. longer, but what could be uh, a good challenge for our listeners based on our conversation today that, that they can, uh, that they can do over the next week? Well, I, you know, we didn't even talk about fascia, Antonio. I, know. I can't funny. even believe that. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to give you a fascia thing, but I think because we talked about this 
proprioception and teroception thing, I think what would be a really beautiful thing for people to do is to close their eyes um, for at least one minute, maybe three if they can master it, you know, muster those three minutes a day mm -hmm. and close their eyes and feel their body's weight in space, whether they're on a chair or a car seat, couch, or laying in their bed, so that they get that proprioceptive framework of their body and its weight. And then to venture in, to venture into how they're breathing without trying to manage their breath, just to try to accumulate an awareness of breath moving in and out, their heartbeat, and then venture down into the organs and ask them, ask their organs, how are you feeling today? My body thinks and feels. Post themselves. My body thinks and feels. Feel their structure. Feel their breath, their heartbeat. And then going into that more subtle, innermost baby carriage of their viscera and asking, How they feel. I love it. That is perfect. And I know uh, that is going to be super beneficial for myself. So I'm looking forward to applying that myself. Jill, I cannot thank you enough for spending the last hour with me. Uh, go buy your cookie and enjoy. Yeah, get that cookie. Okay. Thank you. All right. All right, guys. Thanks again for joining us for episode eight of the Movement Code podcast. Again, as a reminder, uh, we have in the show notes different areas in which you can connect with Jill um, and, and the tune-up fitness movement. So she's definitely very active on Instagram. I refer to her YouTube videos quite often just because we utilize the um, yoga tune-up fitness balls in our practice we prescribe them to our patients and she just does such a great job of describing how to use those so if you want to learn how to do a lot of those movements youtube is a great resource and then if you want to purchase any of those uh, items we do sell uh, the gorgeous ball and the tune-up balls at our office here in lafayette colorado and then you can also purchase those through her website directly which is tuneupfitness.com so reminder challenge this week Every day, one to three minutes if you can, you're going to close your eyes and you're just going to take note of the weight of your body in whatever environment you are. If you're in a chair, if you're in a bed, if you're on the floor, you'll start to slow down, tune into your breath, tune into your heartbeat, start to take note of how your body's feeling, not only on the outside, but also on the inside. And just really kind of touching base with 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 who with where you are and how you're feeling. This I know is going to be very challenging for me, as I said in the pre-roll. Slowing down is hard, and I'm going to do my best to complete this challenge every single day, as I encourage you guys to do so as well. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to chatting with our next guest next week. And we hope that you guys tune in. Again, if you guys enjoyed the episode, 
please feel free to share it with whoever you find it might be beneficial for. And if you have a couple minutes, if you can go on to whatever platform you're listening, and if they have the ability to post reviews, please please give us a review. We'd love to see um, what you guys are thinking of the show. And as always, thanks again and move well. Thank you.